Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, encourage us today, challenge us today, invite us into your peace even today. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John Maxwell, in the book Developing the Leader Within, writes the following. William H. Hinson tells of why animal trainers carry a stool when they go into the cage of lions. They have their whips, of course, and their pistols are at their sides, but invariably, they also carry a stool. Hinson says it is the most important tool of the trainer. He holds the stool by the back and thrusts the leg toward the face of the wild animal. Those who know maintain that the animal tries to focus on all four legs at once. And in the attempt to focus on all four, a kind of paralysis overwhelms the animal. It becomes tame, weak, and disabled because its attention is so fragmented. Now, I don't know if I would trust a stool to distract a lion from eating me, but that being said, I do understand that kind of distraction, trying to focus on so many different things that I end up focused on nothing. I wonder if you ever feel like the poor lion. Attention so split, so divided, that you end up feeling fragmented and confused and even paralyzed. Or maybe for you, you can't relate to that, but you can relate to the feeling of the lion who seems to have lost something. You used to be one thing. You used to be the king of the jungle, but now you're, you feel like an extra at the show, just kind of feeling caged just sitting there being forced to jump through hoops. But either way, you feel like you've lost your way, lost your purpose, lost yourself, lost your control. And if we had to put one word on what's gone missing in both of these scenarios, I think we might recognize that our lives have lost some of their peace. Now, as I say that, let's recognize we're not talking about the kind of peace that's simply a, a lack of strife or conflict. It's not that kind of peace that's gone missing. Instead, we're talking about the kind of peace that is about wholeness and harmony, a peace that comes from a sense of fulfillment and flourishing, a peace that leaves us feeling sure and stable and secure. It's a sense that you know who you are and you are where you're supposed to be, and you're doing what you have been made to do. And alas, sadly, my suspicion is that while we can each recognize this kind of peace, maybe we each even long for this kind of peace, I don't think enough of us experience this kind of peace. Frankly, as we get started on this topic, it may even be worth thinking about the things that take away or keep us from finding peace in our lives? Are there particular times when you feel less at peace? Are there things that you do that end up taking away some of your peace? For some of you, this may be the question that is almost the most important in this whole sermon. 
as I was working on the sermon, I, I spent a moment recognizing that for me, almost every single time I open up an internet browser, I end up closing it later with less peace than I started with before. I don't think I've ever gone to the internet and then left being like, the world is good, and yet I keep opening them. But for you, as you think about your life, what is it, what are they that throw off your peace, especially during this season? While we think about that, let me remind you where we are and where we're going before we come back to peace. In this new series, as we move through Advent toward Christmas, we're focusing in on a a small line in the Christmas story that maybe we can relate to a little too much, especially in the season of busyness and stress and overwhelm. In Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we're told, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And I wonder, is there any room for Jesus in our lives, particularly as we prepare for Christmas? Because, of course, the reality is that there's often less room for Jesus during this season than any other, which is ironic because this one's supposed to be all about Him. But therefore, during this Advent season, we're trying to carve out some room for Jesus. As the song says, let every heart prepare Him room, which reminds us that we actually have to prepare space. You have to make Space. You have to prioritize time. You have to reserve the room. Or our hearts end up just filled with too much of everything else, and there's more than enough of everything else to fill us at Christmas time. And so, as we work to prepare Him room, let's turn in our Bibles today to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, as we prepare our hearts with more peace. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her.'" And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors." Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Amen. Hopefully you know this story. Hopefully it has become familiar to you. The angel, Gabriel, goes to Mary, tells her she has found favor in the eyes of the Lord. More than that, she will have a son who will be called the Son of the Most High. He will sit on David's throne and his kingdom will never end. And it's probably worth noting that each of those statements for Mary would have been more fantastical than the one that came before. I mean, just getting started, being pregnant at this point would have been miraculous and a bit of a surprise for both Mary and Joseph, for sure. But then the angel adds that their son will sit on David's throne, which doesn't seem very likely either, since David doesn't have a throne at this point in history. In fact, David's reign was about 1,000 years earlier. Historically, it was almost exactly 1,000 years before when the power of Egypt and Babylon had waned and Israel experienced the golden age under King David and then King Solomon. But between back then and the time of Mary, the kingdom went astray, the kingdom was conquered and taken into exile, and a remnant of the kingdom returned And eventually, by the time Mary comes along, Rome is firmly in the seat of power. So there doesn't seem to be much of a Davidic throne left anymore. But the angel doesn't stop there. Because he also says that this new kingdom will never end. Well, that just sounds ridiculous. I mean, if there's one thing we've seen over the span of human history, kingdoms come and then they go. They rise up and then they fall. So one that never ends sounds like a stretch. What's more, this even sounds like it may be referencing a godly kingdom that the book of Daniel points us towards, which would be even greater and yet even harder to believe. Therefore, Mary's question is more than appropriate. Um, How will this be? But she seems to believe when Gabriel simply explains that God's going to handle the details. So Mary heads off to visit her relative Elizabeth because, of course, there was one other piece of news that the angel shared. A relative that is unable to have children is now pregnant. And if he's right about that, well, 
he may just be right about all that other stuff as well. And of course, everything does get confirmed, and Mary bursts into verse and prayer, glorifying and praising God, and ends up staying with Elizabeth, presumably until John the Baptist is born. But here's the part that intrigues me about all of this. Mary doesn't seem frazzled or frustrated or stressed or overwhelmed by all of this. Amidst the crazy news, amidst the angel visit, amidst the waiting, amidst the changing of plans, amidst the fear and the unknown and the lack of control and all the rest, she seems to have some measure of peace, which causes me to ask why and and then follow that up with how. And when we come to Joseph next week, we're going to find out there's even more to be disturbed by, and yet again... They seem to be okay. So for today, I simply want us to try and figure out how does Mary find peace in the midst of all of this uncontrollable chaos and lack of certainty? Because I think that many of us wouldn't mind having just a little bit more peace in our lives. And so I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at how we lose our peace. I want us to look at some of the ways we look for that peace And then at the end, maybe let's find how Mary finds peace. But we have to start with the things that take away our peace. Because it strikes me that there are several different ways we lose our peace. The first occurs when our lives simply get overly full. Uh, There's too much to do and not enough time to do it. There are too many fires to put out and overdue deadlines to deal with. There's too many bills to pay and appointments to keep, and errands to run, and chores to do, and people to respond to, and emails to send, and and not to mention the kids. And this isn't to say that all of that stuff isn't important and even sometimes necessary, because most of it is. In fact, most of that needs to happen, but it can be so much that we become spread too thin, stretched too far, and we feel like there's not much of us left anymore. But that's only one kind of our lack of peace. Because we also feel a lack of peace when there's nothing to do, when we have too much time, when we feel a sense of purposelessness. We find so much identity in what we do. What happens when there's nothing to do? We find so much of our worth in being a person that gets stuff done. What happens when there's nothing that needs to be done? We find purpose in productivity, in pleasing people. What happens when we can't or don't? When we don't feel like we're on mission anymore, we can feel like we're just drifting, like nothing matters And in this, too, we end up with a lack of peace. Still, another way that we feel a lack of peace is when we simply feel distracted, worried, exhausted, upset. We can be so caught up in how little control we have in all of the different circumstances of life that we end up losing our peace. I'm afraid. I'm agitated. I'm angry. And when I am... I don't feel peace. 
But even here, a lot of those feelings also come from the world seeming to be more chaotic, more out of control, and I can't fix it, which is part of why I don't feel peace. Before we leave all of this lack of peace, it's probably worth seeing two other little things. First, we should note that you can feel a lack of peace when you're too busy and when you're not busy enough. But therefore, maybe a sense of peace may have less to do with our to-do list than we'd like to think. Second, notice that while we feel a lack of peace from many different causes, they all seem to boil down to some of the same roots, a feeling like we're out of control, a feeling like we've lost our way, a feeling that we're being overwhelmed. So what do we do? Well, first, let's recognize some of our strategies for trying to add more peace back in. And the first is probably the most familiar, especially in this particular season, to perfectly and completely order and manage every aspect of our lives and the lives of those around us. How do you find peace during Christmas? You create a list. You check it twice. You figure out who's naughty, then you try and make them nice, and then you work through the rest of your list systematically, ruthlessly, efficiently, trying to get everything done off the list, and thus manage the chaos and turn it into peace. The answer to how do you find peace is a new organizational system so that everything has its place and everything has its time and everything is under control. Never mind that it's kind of like the the duck on a river. There's a churning, frantic mess below the surface, but at least on the top, it looks like you're semi-put together, even though you're all worn out. Because the assumption is, if we don't feel peace when we aren't in control, the answer then is simply just ratchet up the control. If I can force everything to be exactly the way I need it to be, then then I'll find peace. Of course, if we're on the other side of that equation, if our lack of peace is due to a lack of purpose, then we can try and create more purpose, more mission out of nothing. We can take a molehill and we can turn it into a mountain, and then we can scale the mountain. We can try and overly control all of the things around us, micromanaging and worrying over things that aren't really all that important hoping that by making them more urgent, making them more important, we will then find purpose. And if we find purpose, we'll have peace. There's also the third kind of misstrategy for finding peace, and that's simply to ratchet back our caring. If I don't feel peace when I'm overwhelmed, then the answer is simply... Don't ever be overwhelmed. And the way you do that is you become more detached, more disconnected. If I don't care, if I'm more apathetic, if I'm more numb, well, then that's like peace, isn't it? I can just ignore the world around me, and then I'll feel peace. But again, it doesn't work because that's not the real problem. At the end of the day, none of those work because a lack of peace is less about purpose or control or overwhelm, and it's more about something unsettled in our soul. 
when we don't feel peace, maybe it's not about a to-do list. Maybe it's not about being overwhelmed. Maybe there's something off inside. Which also may start to lead us back towards the real source of peace as we turn back toward that passage. Because I think there's something we learn from our passage from Mary. Because if anyone should feel a lack of control and purpose and wholeness, if anyone should feel a lack of peace, it is Mary. But that's not the sense we get. And as we look deeper at how Mary is processing all that is happening and needs to be done, we find her continually and consistently looking to the same place for peace. What I find miraculous about Mary is that somehow she is able to rest in the reign of God and the might of God and the favor of God all throughout this passage. If you look at the things that she says, if you look at the ways she responds, it all has to do with God being strong, not her. God being in charge, not her. God accepting her and not the other way around. More to the point, Mary finds peace not in herself and not in her control and not in her purpose, but ultimately in God. The angel tells her she's highly favored and that the Lord is with her, and she believes the angel. The angel tells her what's going to happen next, and she accepts it. She sees God working out His will, and she bursts into song and praise, and it's all focused on God's goodness and God's grace and God's glory. But that may be Mary's secret, because our peace may be more a function of our recognition that God is king, that God is in control, that that our purpose is found in God than we ever will be able to find peace within ourselves. Which also makes sense when we think about what it is we're actually seeking when we talk about peace. If peace is wholeness and thriving, if peace is harmony and unity, if peace is fulfillment and flourishing, those things can only be found in God. No amount of control or self-made purpose will make us feel more whole, will help us to feel like we're flourishing. That all has to come from God. Whereas if I can see that I'm walking in God's step, if I'm becoming the person that God has made me to be, if I'm doing God's work in God's world in God's way, well then maybe... I might find some peace. And notice, because this is important, this doesn't necessarily change what we're actually doing all that much. Instead, it changes something deeper. Because by this, it seems like I could live the same basic day in two fundamentally different ways. You could live out a Tuesday without peace, and most of us will, where your whole life feels out of control, divided, anxious, and meaningless as you go about the things you're supposed to be doing, and it's all overwhelming, and you're just getting through. But you also could live out that same Tuesday 
with peace, where you are still doing much the same things, but you recognize you're doing them with God and for God and in God as you focus on Him and find harmony and fulfillment and wholeness. Find peace that goes much deeper than what you can just generate for yourselves. It's the same to-do list, same overall shape of your day, same stresses, same challenges, same uncertainties, but two very different experiences of that same day. What if we could live that kind of peace in our lives? Maybe that's how we are called to prepare Him room in this season, by keeping our soul focused on Him, remembering that He is the King, and in the King we find peace. Let us pray. Lord God, You know that we are not always or even often good at peace. We feel a lot of chaos, a lot of lostness, a lot of overwhelm, and yet you call us, even invite us, to experience your peace. So Lord God, we ask that you would help us to change our perspective, that we might look to you, that we might remember that you are in charge that you favor us, that you are strong. And as we do, may we find your peace. And might that change everything for us in this season. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.